thank you for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms and on the YouTube channel, The Subtext. Hello and welcome to The Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games in the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Lawrence and I'm joined by... This is Dan, welcome to the podcast. How are you this week? Are you well? I am good. Um, Nothing much has changed since last week except that we've played another amazing game on this list. I use the word amazing um, (laughs) in quotes depending on the game. I um I just had a thought when you said that nothing's changed. Do you remember in MGS two, um, with the guards when they're asleep and they go nothing to nah, report. Nothing's here. <laughs> it just made me think of that. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, random. Um, but yeah, we've we've played quite a good game this week, haven't we? Yeah, I'd say so. I think um, it's a game that we both got fond memories of. Yes. And I enjoyed replaying it. Don't know how it stands up critically, but I suppose we'll get into it in this episode. Yes, so this week we are covering Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. Now, this game came out in November 2007, uh, developed by Infinity Ward under Activision. Now, it rates at number 53 on our list with a Metacritic uh, a Metacritic score of 94. So... Anyone that is familiar with first-person shooters or with online shooters or military games overall, or unless you've been living under a rock for the last kind of 10, 15 years, you've probably heard of Call of Duty. So Call of Duty 4 is, I'd say, one of the biggest entries into the series. Now, we'll start off where we always do with covering what platform that we played it on. So for this podcast, I believe we both played the remastered version correct yeah so the remastered version is obviously the original version which has been um remastered re yeah it's been but i think it's been a bit more than that i think it's uh, a bit more has gone into it than that um i've got a feeling there are some new animations some new facial animations new easter eggs um yeah new new bits as as we we probably will get to and it yeah it's more of um it's that kind of strange place between a remaster and a remake. And I think it's similar to the Modern Warfare 2 remaster that they did. Yes. Um, so yeah, I played it on the Xbox One X. I made a mistake this time though, because as I mentioned to you, this game came out before the Xbox One X was released, which meant that there was no Xbox One X patch for it. So unfortunately I was playing in 1080p, 60 frames per second and to my annoyance i found out afterwards that the the um the ps4 pro version runs better because it was obviously released a year before that so in an ideal world i would have played it on the ps4 pro that's why i originally played the remaster Mm. when the remaster came out well Um, see usually you're the one that plays it on the um on the superior console and i'm the one that plays it on the inferior one but the tables have turned i think this is the first time isn't it that's it yeah because i played it on the ps4 pro uh, yeah. it's the only console that I've got it on um, and I didn't want to bother getting it again just to play it on the well, I had to rebuy it because I, I, I sold my PS4 version um, so I had to rebuy it and I made a decision based on my prior knowledge that usually the Xbox One X versions are better in this case I was wrong well 
Yeah, I mean, do you, do you remember when this originally came out though? Because it was um, it was kind of in changed to Infinite Warfare, wasn't it? You had to get the ultimate edition of Infinite Warfare to then. It was the legacy edition, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that to then gain access to play this, you know game that's over 10 years old you know which i remember there was a huge outcry about at the time because it was ridiculous and then activision was saying no it's never going to come out on its own you can only play it if it's with the legacy uh, edition of infinite warfare and then obviously people spoke with their wallets and it did come out on its own after about six months to a year i think um yeah i'm not convinced that people spoke with their wallets though i think a lot of people myself included bought the uh, legacy edition of Infinite Warfare to play this game. Oh yeah, and... that, that, that's what. I, uh, sorry, what I mean by that is um, Activision probably knew that if they did release this separately, yeah, they'd make even more money from it. Um, yeah, but I did the same thing. I bought Infinite Warfare, and I'm not really interested in Call of Duty sci-fi stuff. So um, I quite, I quite like that one. So for me, uh uh, some people might say it was uh, poor value, but I, to me, I got two good Call of Duty campaigns mm. in a single... I mean, I paid £60, I think, something like that. Well, um, I mean, the problem that I had with it was that if you wanted to play Modern Warfare on the system, you had to also have Infinite Warfare installed on your console. You couldn't uh, yeah. just have one or the other, which really annoyed me because... They're both pretty big games in terms of the memory they take up. And at the time, yeah. I was on my original PS4. I didn't have a Pro at the time. So that took up a substantial amount of memory on my console, which, I, I don't know, I, th- I think it's just bad video game industry business practices, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think there's definitely some shady shady stuff going on there. Um, I remember as well that you, you needed, um, like you say, you needed Infinite Warfare installed. But if you wanted to... If I remember correctly, there was there were two discs. Um, maybe I've misremembered that. But um, or was it a download content? It was it was it was DLC. It was a download code. Um, right. Okay. That came with it. Because I always found it frustrating that if I wanted to get rid of Infinite Warfare, then it meant that I'd have to get rid of Modern Warfare yeah. as well because you needed the disc to play the download content. Yeah. yeah. Stupid. So that, that was a bit that was a bit sneaky, especially since later on, like you say, they did release it separately. Yeah, I think what they did with um, Modern Warfare Two, in hindsight, was a much better um, prospect for the consumer. Yeah, but I mean, then they released Modern Warfare Two Remastered to very little fanfare. I think it just kind of appeared. Um, yeah, on the, which is, I suppose, the, the downside. Yes, but anyway, um, we're not talking about Modern Warfare Two today. We're talking about Modern Warfare. Uh, yeah, well, Modern Warfare One. But not Call the of new Duty Modern Warfare. 4, Modern Warfare. <laughs> Call of Duty Four Modern Warfare. So, what we'll do first is we'll kind of discuss the story. It's not a particularly long campaign, I'd say. Depending what uh, setting that you're playing this game on, you can finish this game in maybe four to five hours. But if you're playing it on the harder difficulties, then it will take you um, a bit longer because you completed it on veteran difficulty this time, didn't you? Yeah, I completed it on Veteran. It took longer than... I mean, this game, if you're playing on a normal playthrough, I'd say four to five hours. I think for me it took about seven hours on Veteran, around that. Um, Yeah, so I played it on Veteran. Sure. It was... uh... I started, but didn't didn't manage to uh, finish it on Veteran. But what were you going to say? 
it was it was frustrating at times, but yeah. generally speaking, I'd say it still stands up in veteran, and I found it fun. Except I for that one mission. Yeah, even that though. <laughs> I mean, sometimes when you when you finish playing a game, the negative feelings you have, you just can't uh, you can't let go of them, and they're still there. But I I don't feel like that was the case with this. I feel like I was so happy to have it done that that kind of memory's been clouded over. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. I, I mean, I, I I was playing this on veteran difficulty up until um, the one-shot, one-kill mission, which follows all gillied up where you're um, defending yourself in, um, in Pripyat. And this mission's devilishly hard anyway on any difficulty, but playing it on veteran, I just didn't have the patience for it. I'm a very chilled-out guy, but, oh, man... It's such a slog, so I I I turned the difficulty down on that to hardened, and then I just carried on the game like that because the later game is very, um, very much bullets flying everywhere, grenades everywhere, and I just kind of wanted to finish it and to enjoy it, yeah. and not to just be stuck in a slog with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'd say from that point onwards, it doesn't necessarily get any easier. It kind of carries on at the same clip. Um, there's some bits which were almost almost as frustrating, but maybe not quite as frustrating. Um, but yeah, it's very much around that kind of level if you if you carry on playing on veteran. Yeah. So the story itself is it's based over a couple of days, really, isn't it? It's not like it's taking place over a year or so. It takes place over maybe about a week, um, where there is a, a coup, I'd say, in the Middle East where... Is it the president? The president gets um, shot in the face on national TV by president ultranationalists? Al-Falani. Yeah, so um, there's a there's an uprising by some ultranationalists in the Middle East. Um, a president gets shot in the face on national television and then the US invades... What, what country is it they're invading? Can you remember? I think it's a fictional country. I don't think it's, okay. um, yeah, I don't think it's a real country. Probably safer to do it that way anyway, isn't it? Yeah, um, especially with tensions as they were at that time. Yeah, so um, the Americans invade the Middle East to try and find the um, the guy that shot the president, a, a guy called uh, Al-Assad. Um, then a nuclear bomb goes off, um, wipes out thousands and thousands of US infantry, and the SAS and the US Marine Corps team up. And all those civilians that would have been in the city. Sure. Um, so the US and the SAS team up to take out the person who is solely responsible for it, which is Al-Assad, but also um, a guy that's one of the characters Captain Price has previous history with, um, Imran Zakayev, and... Yeah, it kind of all comes to a head at a, a, a nuclear launch base and save the world, and that's it, really. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty very, simple action, isn't it? It's very um, political. It's very modern day political, as in it's quite reflective of yeah some of the things that you see around the world. Um, but then it also does kind of go into superhero territory, almost a bit. James Bond-esque as the game carries on 
um, you get uh, <laughs> these quite ludicrous moments that you would never really see and these four people-ish saving <laughs> an entire or oh, the world so that's that's uh well that's just nice. how good the sas are <laughs> yeah sas and a couple of americans indeed um so yeah the story is very it's very basic it's classic action movie military like dan says kind of a few elements of hero um Esque. Yeah, it takes takes the template from things like Save it, Saving Private Ryan and modernizes them. Mm. And as we all know, Call of Duty and Medal of Honor were originally supposed to be the video game versions of Save it, Saving yeah, Private, Private Ryan. Ryan. And um, I think Spielberg was involved was. In, in the original Medal of Honor. Yeah. And which is why they mirror so closely. Now, some of these characters... Some of these characters in Modern Warfare, you've got um, you've got Price, Captain Price, and he has appeared in many Call of Duty games. He has appeared in many Call of Duty eras. I think he originally appeared in Call of Duty 2, the Xbox version, the Xbox 360 version, which was different from Call of Duty 2 Big Red 1. Um, that was the game that he originally appeared in. So this was kind of a nod to that. Because um, yeah, set in the forties. One thing, isn't it, Call of Duty too. Yeah, so it's set in World War Two. So he's um, obviously time warping uh, <laughs> captain that we've got there. Uh, <laughs> and the thing about Call of Duty is you've got you've got Infinite Warfare who kind of do things year on year off. You've got Treyarch who also do things Infinity year Ward on year off. Year on year off, not in- Infinite Warfare. Oh yeah, yeah, in- Infinity <laughs> Ward, and then you've got Sledgehammer as well. That's also uh, that does the occasional Call of Duty game, and you've also got Raven now as well. So there's four there's four development studios that make these games, but I'd say the two most famous are uh, Infinity Ward and Treyarch. Yeah, well, I mean, at the time, I think this period of the late noughties for Call of Duty was fantastic because you had Modern Warfare coming out in 2007, and then I think the year after that... Um, Treyarch did um, Call of Duty 5 World at War, which is one of my favourite Call of that. Duty games. Oh, do you not like that one? No, I hated it. Couldn't stand the the it. Japanese campaign in that game is frustrating, but I quite enjoyed it overall. I like playing as the Russians. Uh, um, I, d- I didn't like... Gary um, Oldman's stupidly over-the-top Russian accent. Well, not that, but fighting World War 2 to the backdrop of heavy metal. Yeah. I just, I just didn't like that game at all. Never played it again afterwards. Oh, did you not? No, no I, I, I quite enjoyed that campaign, um, and then followed obviously in two thousand and nine by the massive Call of Duty Modern Warfare two, which is also on this list, which we're both looking forward to playing. Um, yeah, the only two Call of Duty games on the list. They are, um, and I'm quite surprised that the game following that one isn't on there, Black Ops, because a lot of people have got a, a lot of respect for Black Ops and Black Ops two. I think. I think that's more to do with. Um... The multiplayer and the zombies modes, though, yeah, um, which were first implemented in World at War, mm. um, the not the multiplayer, the zombie mode. Nazi but I think the, the um, Black Ops really took the multiplayer a step further. Um, whereas I, I think the Black Ops campaign was better than World at War, uh, definitely. But again, oh, it's Vietnam, not one of my fondest. It? Yeah, it's not one of my fondest um, Call of Duty campaigns. No, it's, it, it was all right though, wasn't it? It was, it was decent. Yeah, it, it was. It wasn't bad. Mm. It was fun to play, but 
I don't think there was much replay value in it personally. Absolutely. So you've got um, quite a bit of history with the Call of Duty series. Like yeah. You say you play Call of Duty 2. You say you've played Call of Duty I played as well? The, I played the original, yeah. I played the original, um, actually played the PS3 remaster of the original. The original is obviously not held up fantastically well, but at the time it really was something special. Yeah. Um, and it came out at the tail end of that console cycle, which was the PS2, mm. um, the Xbox cycle. I'm not sure. I think it came out on GameCube, Xbox and PS2 actually. And it also came out on P- uh, PC, obviously. And then they did the uh, the sequel, which was Call of Duty Big Red 1, which was only on the consoles. And then they did the separate version for the 360, which was so, so much better. Um, and I've got really fond memories of that as well. And I also really like Call of Duty 3, which was a Treyarch game. And that was a, that was a good one. Um, and then I kind of fell off around Modern Warfare 3 and mm, yeah. got back on board for Infinite Warfare. Didn't play um, World War 2. I quite like that but one. But I played... Yeah, I, I always meant to play that, but... It was. It's always the thing because I don't really play the multiplayer on these games anymore. Same. It's how much are you willing to spend for the, the campaign? campaign? That's, yeah, that's my and current predicament with Modern Warfare, the new one that's come out, because that's still forty-five, fifty quid, and I know the campaign yeah. on that game is only about eight hours, and I'm not going to play the online, so I don't want to spend that amount of money for just an eight-hour experience. I do understand, but I think of all the recent Call of Duty games, that's the campaign to play Hmm. um and the reason for that is that i I bought the xbox one x last year and that was the first game i played on it and it was it is so so good to look at and not only that they've made innovations in terms of the tech in terms of the things you can do and and it's still a call of duty game so yeah don't go in there expecting crisis it's not going to be that (laughs) um but it's um i had a really good time playing modern warfare i i would say I mean, I paid, what, £45, £50 for it, and I'd say I it was worth it for me playing that single-player campaign. But you need to judge uh, what you'd get out of it and yeah. um, make that decision, I suppose. Indeed. So, um, back to Call of Duty 4. Back then. to the game at hand. Indeed. It's very difficult to not talk about a Call of Duty game without talking all of the other ones that kind of encompass it, because uh, they all yeah. feel like they're, they're one of the same. Um, yeah, and and some of them, some of the ones that didn't make the list do deserve a nod, which I suppose yeah. we're giving them here. Um, so one of the big elements of Modern Warfare, Call of Duty Four. I feel I have to keep saying Call of Duty Four when I say Modern Warfare. From here on in, when I say Modern Warfare, why don't you just call it Call of Duty Four rather than Modern Warfare? There we go, perfect. Because everyone knows what what one Call of Duty Four was. Indeed. So Call of Duty Four. Then um, one of the big elements of it, it's become, I think. When it came out, it was um, it really helped not launch the whole console multiplayer thing because you know you had games like Halo that came out in the early two thousands, which was huge for Xbox Live. But in my opinion, the Call of Duty games and the first person shooter games of that time were massive in making the online community what it is now. And yeah, I say that cautiously because the online community has been around since. You know the mid '90s with games like Quake and Unreal Tournament, and I think what you're trying to say—I don't know if you, correct me if I'm wrong—but mm. I feel like what you're trying to say is that 
it was when multiplayer became mainstream. Yes, I, yeah, I, I think that's what I'm getting at because, you know, Call of Duty Four and the ones that came after that, it was one of those things. I mean, 2007, 2008, I'd have been 15, 16. You'd have been what, 18 ish. 17, 17 18. 18. So well, I've been 17 in 2007. So a, a majority of our friends who played games would have been playing games online like this. You know, everyone was talking about online games, modern warfare, getting the kill streaks, the different maps, getting their um, kill death ratio, etc. It was it was a huge thing, and I think we'd be remiss talking about this game without mentioning the huge online community in this game because yeah it it was massive and i know there's still a huge following for this for this particular game online and a lot of people think that uh, call of duty 4 is one of the best um online cods um i i personally disagree i'm not someone that's played a lot of online call of duty mainly because i'm rubbish online so i don't enjoy it but I always preferred the maps and the um, the gameplay of Modern Warfare 2. But I played a little bit of the online to discuss it here. And I've played a bit here and there over the past year or so. And, um, you know, one of my good mates, Joe, whenever he comes over, he usually pops Modern Warfare, uh, Call of Duty 4 on to play stuff like Prop Hunt, Team Deathmatch, um, Domination. And it's still got such a huge um, player base online. It's it's crazy for a game that is, you know, 13 years old. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I didn't play so much multiplayer on Call of Duty 4, but I did play a lot of, a hell of a lot, probably the most multiplayer I've ever played on Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2. Mm. That was the game that really opened up online multiplayer for me and i've played yeah (laughs) and i remember a few of the levels on um call of duty 4 um i remember there's one with um shipping containers yeah it's quite a small one um i remember the odd level from there um but i don't i didn't i haven't really played online many games afterwards but i did really get into the online multiplayer of modern warfare 2 but yeah i think the these were the games that really these are the ones that I remember people at the time that I knew that weren't necessarily huge gamers, but they would talk about. Um, they would be playing it in the evenings. I remember with Modern Warfare 2, we used to meet up in evenings and just play for hours. And I mean, I've got quite fond memories of that. It's, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're huge communities. Um, and I'm with you. Like, I didn't play that much online for Modern Warfare 2. But I feel that a lot of the maps were a lot more standout in Modern Warfare 2. You've got some really decent ones in um, COD 4. But things like uh, High Rise in Modern Warfare 2 stand out. The Favelas. Um, you know, there's a The lot un- of... Underpass was my favourite. Yeah, Underpass. You know, that you, you can't really go into too much detail with the online because... Otherwise, we'd be talking about that for the entire episode because it feels like when a Call of Duty game comes out, there are two games. There's the campaign and then there's the online and they're two separate entities, very much like Grand Theft Auto V and Grand Theft Auto So let me ask you this. Mm. Um, What do you think? So we've said that this game kind of brought multiplayer to the mainstream. What do you think that Call of Duty 4 did so right 
um, to get that main, mainstream attention? I think I think a lot of it is um, it's, it's the small details. I think so. Things like um, you know your call sign. You could get the little the little picture next to your name in your in your tag. Um, the faster respawns, the amount of weapons there were, the map, um, the map creation was, you know, like we say, not as memorable as Modern Warfare Two, but there were some very good maps on here. The kill streaks, the perks, all of that stuff, I think, comes into it. And obviously, you've got things like the kill cam um, and the game, the game-winning kill, etc. And then you've also got the um, the MLG stuff with online gaming like people who always try to do trick shots like 360 no scopes and things like that i think it, it bred its own following um that perhaps an online game hadn't seen before what what would you say what, what do you think made i'd it say three things firstly the fluidity of the controls that really lend themselves to that kind of Pick up and play, quick play, quick draw yeah. um, gameplay. I think that's the first thing. Second thing I'd say is the leveling up that you could do to unlock more weapons Prestige. to different levels. As you, Yeah, you kind of um, reference this and then you could become, what did they call it? Prestige. Mm. Um, prestige level, which is basically the, the final level. And finally, I think it was one of the first times where, as we know, in the early 2000s, internet connections could be a bit ropey whereas i think this was the first time that we got a really smooth slick online platform and that may it may not have been the first time but it's the first time that i was aware of and i think those three things combined to not only create that hardcore community which you're referencing but also that ease for the general public to kind of give it a go yeah for sure and you know you've got a lot of very fun kind of um mini games in there as well like i don't think it was originally in modern warfare see i keep saying modern warfare it wasn't originally in cod 4 when it came out um but one element that they've got in the online play now is something called prop hunt have you played that at all no oh it's, it's so much fun like there are two teams one team is a prop so a bench or a um a street lamp or a bin or a chair and they have to hide from the team who's hunting them. And you've got like two changes per game. So if you get spotted as a chair, then you can throw a flashbang and then run away and change into something else. Um, but yeah, it's just <laughs> it's just really fun. It's it's stupid I need fun. To, I need to see footage of this because I, I can't picture it. Well, when, when, when you're putting together the, um, the gameplay for the... Uh, for the YouTube video, see if you can get a game of prop hunt in because I think you'd enjoy yeah, it. It's, try. it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, so the online is a huge element of this game, and you've touched on yeah. something there which leads us very well into our section of gameplay as king when you mentioned the fluid controls. Now, with this section of the podcast, we always discuss three things, and you've already touched on control. And I, I'd agree with you. I feel that this game controls very well. It's very pleasing to play and it's very precise. And there are a lot of settings that you can change. Um, again, I'll mention when I used to 
watch uh, my mate Joe play this game, he'd put his uh, controller sensitivity super high. And I've got no idea how he could play like that. But the fact that you, you've got those little options there really makes it easily tailorable to the player, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I also think we should mention the fact that this control scheme of using R3 to do your melee attack, using L3 to sprint, this is the control scheme that was adopted by basically every first-person shooter since then to this day. Um, it's the control scheme that ruined older games so that if you go back and play an older first-person shooter... Don't know what you're doing. Yeah, like when we play GoldenEye, mm. <laughs> it, it just it just resets you. you you're, you're so attuned to this yeah. control scheme that you go back to older games and you think, oh, I just wish I could um, change it to this unified control scheme. I mean, it deserves credit alone for creating that unified control scheme, for better or worse. I think it's probably better um, in the it means that you can just pick something up and play it and you know how to control it. Worse in that you lose some of the nuances of um, those games that want to control a bit differently. Well, um, But I'm, either way, it deserves a head nod for it. I mean, interestingly enough, a lot of my friends who still play the COD games, because I think the button layout that you're talking about is the default, uh, which is how I play it, and it sounds like it's the way that you play it as well. But I know a lot of people who play this game online go for the tactical button layout, which... I can't get my head around because I'm so used to the default now. Um, but I think it's maybe pressing circle or B to use your melee. And I, I, I can't get my head around it. But I agree. It it, it's, um, it makes it a lot harder to go back to older games now that don't have this, um, this control layout. Because you're just so used to it. If It feels yeah. like we've been groomed by Modern Warfare to, <laughs> to you know, get, get used to these things. But... I, like I just said, I, I agree with you. The controls are very easy. It's a very fluid game. And I think that's one of the best things an FPS game can be is fluid. It doesn't feel clunky. It doesn't feel janky. Like you mentioned with Red Dead Redemption 2, it felt very heavy. And yeah. could you imagine trying to play Red Dead Redemption 2 in the first person mode? Oh, didn't, <laughs> didn't even try it. it. It would drive you mad. Whereas... With this, it just works, and they don't have to tweak it too much because you know you don't fix what isn't broken. You know, exactly. You just refine it, and to this day, if I'm playing a first-person shooter, I expect if I'm playing on the PS4, I expect L3 to be my sprint. Mm. I expect circle to be my crouch. I expect square to be my reload. That's because I expect triangle to be my switch weapon because of Call of Duty. Yeah, and. Um, and it throws me when it's not. And obviously over time I get used to it, but it's, I suppose it becomes um, habit, doesn't it? It does. It does. So do you think this game's fun? Absolutely. Mm. Without, without, without question, it is fun. Even on veteran difficulty, there's just something very satisfying about the fluidity of it all. Yeah. Running at 60 frames per second. Um, the fact that when you do hit enemies, you can... It sounds disturbing but you can see the blood splatter and you can you know when you've you've had a hit and then you, you you might go for another couple of shots to make sure they're dead yeah but that impact with enemies is really solid and it just runs really it works really well it just works well doesn't it yeah it's 
that there's there's something that you've mentioned there which I'll make a note of to come back to when we discuss Modern Warfare 2. Um, but yeah, I absolutely agree. The gameplay is satisfying, which I was saying to you earlier today that games these days really struggle to hold my attention unless it's a very focused story-driven narrative. Um, and this game has got... I think the story in this game is pretty decent. Um, yeah. But it isn't the best story I've ever had it's just i think a, the story itself is very generic but i think yeah. the way it's told is quite interesting yeah absolutely and the fact that it has me coming back and saying yeah I've, like because I've, I've played um this game here and there over the past kind of few years like i quite enjoy going back to call of duty campaigns i think this is the fifth time that i've completed it exactly so i that's that's a testament to itself I, i'd absolutely agree that this game's fun and to anyone uh, who hasn't played it and thinks, uh, you know, I don't like the idea of, you know, going online. You don't have to. The story's good. There's a lot of stuff for you to do there. There's a lot of things to play with. And obviously you can tailor it to your own experience with the difficulty um, choices. Um, so I, I, w- I would describe it as you sit down on a Friday night, you get your popcorn ready, you put on an action film, and it's just an hour and a half of just pure adrenaline entertainment yeah which you don't have to think about that to me is what call of duty 4 is it is the game version of that it's short it's pacey it's snappy it's intense it's fun it's easy to play and it is your hour and a half really good action film yeah absolutely i'd agree with that um so what was your favorite element of the gameplay um Apart from the fluidity, um, I just think those levels where they, everyone knows that Call of Duty is a linear game, yeah, and they kind of popularised the set pieces that we see everywhere in gaming today, and I'd have to I'd have to give a nod to a level which I'm sure we're going to go into in more detail later on, mm-hmm. which is the all gillied up level yeah. where all of those gameplay elements kind of come together in this scripted set piece. I said to you, it is scripted set piece perfection in this level, and I still think that. Yeah. Um, so that's where it all marries up really nicely. That's my favourite bit of it. Sure. No, I'd I'd agree with that. I mean, my answer to the question, my favourite element, it, it links in with all gillied up, but I'd say just the sniping. I really enjoyed the sniping. Um, yeah. Particularly on um, the mission that follows. Um, yeah. There's all gillied up then there's uh, one shot, one kill, and then there's another one where Captain Price has just executed Al-Assad and you're trying to escape from that area and you've got all these infantry coming up the hill and you've got a sniper if you want to use it and I just find that really satisfying to use um, against the enemies that are coming up the hill. But then also the little gadgets and stuff as well, like the Harrier airstrikes um, on that mission, you know, things like that. Yeah, they're great. And using grenades, flashbangs. I mean, I don't know about you, but when I'm playing FPS games, I don't always use the grenades. No. But in this game, I absolutely all the time use the grenades. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that wraps up Gameplay is King. And I think we can both agree in this game that Gameplay absolutely is King. Yeah. Cool. So, what was your favourite part of this game? Obviously, we've said what was your favourite element of the gameplay, but what was your favourite bit? So, 
this is where I want to go a bit more in depth with the all gillied up sure. mission. We so we're in we're in Pripyat, and nineteen ninety six. Yeah, in nineteen ninety six, and the first thing you'll notice is that color has been drained from the screen. So you've got a very kind of grayscale image of what is going on. Obviously, that's to do with the nuclear fallout at Chernobyl, and immediately it looks to be very, very different from the rest of the campaign, which is set either in Europe or in the Middle East. And the Europe sections are quite dark, quite blue. The Middle East sections are quite... Yellow. um, Yeah, yellow and red, and they've got warm colours. But this is completely something different to that. You've got a really nice, subtle score underscoring everything that you do, just playing in the background. Every now and again, you'll just hear it coming up. And like I say, it's a really scripted section, but you can deviate from the script. Um, you can you can attract uh, enemy attention and then go in all guns blazing if you want to. I think you spoil the mission if you do, but you can do that if you want to. This was the first time that uh, this 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 uh, this mission introduced that uh, trope of the sniping mission. Um, where you're, it's a scripted mission where you're working with someone else in a stealthy kind of setting, uh, going through sniping people. Now, my favourite bit of this was uh, playing through on veteran difficulty. You get to the bit where you're in the field with the soldiers coming towards you and the tanks and the jeeps, and you uh, you, you duck down in the grass. This is stealth like we've never seen stealth before. I've never had stealth where I'm literally a centimetre away from an enemy and they can't see me because I'm in my camo gear in the grass to the point where an enemy was coming towards me <laughs> and I had to ever so slightly shift out of the way to get out otherwise they'd walk right into me yeah. and I was like if this goes wrong I'm just so dead because I'm on veteran difficulty but that that tension that it manages to create in that moment it was thrilling and the whole level you've got the um, you get some of the um, really fantastic settings that we know are real places in Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the empty swimming pool. Yep. You've got all those abandoned abandoned uh, apartment blocks. In the next mission, you've got the uh, the, the Ferris wheel. Um, it, it's just to me, it's um, it's perfection in terms of that scripted level to the point where I considered doing um, a separate video for it for. Uh, the YouTube channel, just breaking down all the elements of it, which I may do at some point. That'd be cool. I mean, I, I agree with you. All Gillied Up is one of the best FPS levels, I think, and it's, it's created so masterfully. And, I mean, a bit of background anyway. Chernobyl and um, the area of Pripyat is something that I've always been super interested in anyway. Before... Um, even the HBO miniseries came out a year or so ago. I've always been fascinated by Chernobyl. And there are a few games where you can kind of visit Chernobyl and... Stalker. Yeah. And it's a very different kind of environment. And I mean... It's eerie. It it is incredibly eerie. And I mean, last year, like I said, I've been interested in this subject for a number of years. And after I watched the miniseries last year... I almost booked a trip to go and visit um, the area. I don't know why, because my brother's my my brother's been there. Oh, really? 
Yeah, he went on. He went on a trip, and they did. Um, they did the tour of Chernobyl. I, I, I think I'd really enjoy it. I'd love to go. Um, but yeah. So the fact that post can... lockdown road trip. Absolutely, I think it would be. I think it would be an incredibly eerie experience, but super interesting. Um, yeah. And one of the elements that I love so much about that section of the game is in the following mission one shot one kill at the start when you're you've got a sniper to take out Zakaev. um if you just look up slightly they're right in front of reactor four um they're right That's in front cool. of the nuclear plant and you can you know see a lot of the detail there which i think i don't know it's a weird thing and i mentioned it in the um in the golden eye episode but there's so much i find interesting about um like, like we said with the statue park uh, like Soviet statues oh, yeah. the yeah. whole era of Soviet Europe that I just find so so interesting yeah um, I, I, I agree it's, it's it's like these these stone these these objects are, are just seeped in history yeah. aren't they and there's just so much if they could talk what they would tell us absolutely um, it is it's really it's, it, I mean there's a horror film set there not a very good horror yeah, film I, I think we watched that, that together didn't we yeah it, <laughs> that it was, was bad, bad. <laughs> uh, yeah it, and this this level is so so atmospheric and kind of um, it, it weighs on you this and like you say it's a really accurate recreation from what we have seen of Chernobyl because there's drones that go over the yeah. whole of the thing um it's an accurate re- accurate recreation of it so yeah it's a really impressive level indeed um just just can't the weight of it on you it's just yeah it's just very cool yeah it, it's certainly a standout moment and i think all gillied up like you say like you want to do a youtube video on that separately it, it's got a legacy of its own and anyone that has never um experienced the all gillied up uh, mission or played this game play this game just for that mission even if you're not interested in you know bombastic military shooters because it is an experience Um, one of the finest missions in gaming i'd say yeah i I think it's up there um but i'd say that my favorite part of this game so i'm I'm a big fan of urban environments and i like the ferris wheel what's that sorry is it, is it the Ferris wheel? It's, um, it's absolutely not the Ferris wheel. And we discussed this the other day that it feels like you've got the highest point of the game followed by one of the lowest points Yeah, with um, exactly. with the Ferris wheel, which we'll touch on in a moment. Um, but I, I'd say my favourite section of this game is um, not long after that that mission where you're back in the present day and you're chasing Zakaev's son through yeah. the, um, the apartment buildings and up onto the roof i i, I don't know I, I just think that's quite a cool section um it's another cool setting isn't it, it? it's is. another cool like soviet Abandoned. era yeah there's something i find fascinating about that part of europe i mean you've got siberia you've got these places that are just on the edge of nowhere yeah that feel like they've been forgotten eastern europe is a stone... very interesting place yeah these big stone monoliths um that have just been left there and I find that really fascinating as well, and I, I really like that mission too. That's that's probably my second favourite mission. So, to follow up that uh, that brief section on our favourite part of the game, what's your least favourite part of the game? I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah, it's got it's got to be this bit in terms of even if, like I say, it didn't leave a lasting negativity with me. Just in terms of the design, I don't really get it. The first so section, after. Yeah. 
Yeah, so after uh, after all gillied up, you've got the one shot, one kill mission, and you're working your way back through the city of Pripyat, and you head towards the Ferris wheel for extraction. And yeah, for extraction, and you're extracting another character who has been injured. Captain so you lay him down to snipe the enemy, and you've got a chance to set up some some claymores to take out the enemy. And what happens next? especially on higher difficulties, is you get an absolute ton of enemies to the point where if you're fighting them head-on on higher difficulties, you're just not going to survive. Every person I've seen do this uses different tricks. Now, there's one trick where you kind of hide behind the Ferris wheel itself and you snipe people, and the Ferris wheel carts give you cover. There's another thing where um, you can hide in one of the ticket booths underneath the counter, and you just better hope that you survive the grenades. I found a new one this time, <laughs> which helped me, um, which was f- hiding behind. You know, you know, the enemies will come from the buildings. Yeah. It's going out of the Ferris wheel section, oh, hiding down, behind down one of the buildings. Street. Yeah, down the street, and there's there's a little corner that you can set claymores around, um, and for some reason they just don't bother you as much. Um, they still throw their grenades. And there's, the dogs can get you much more easily there. But um, that was the way that I ended up doing it on Veteran. And it was the way that I found to be significantly easier than... Um, because the, the problem is you can get through this, this... Basically, there's a time of counting down to extraction. And you've got to fight these enemies or to fend off these enemies until extraction. And then the helicopter lands after what seems like forever. It's it's a good six, seven minutes probably. Yeah. And then the helicopter lands and you've got to pick up Captain McMillan, carry him to the helicopter. Without getting shot. Without getting shot to shreds. And you've only got your handgun at that point, haven't you? And uh, yeah, it's it's not easy. That's, that's the bit that's the most difficult. That's the bit that people seem to find hardest. Yeah. Now, what this um, what this way that I did uh, helped me to do was because I was kind of behind the enemies, I could shoot about six or seven of them and clear a path for myself. And I found that picking up McMillan after that was quite easy because all the enemies that were left were on the other side of me, and I didn't really uh, have any trouble with it. In fact, one thing that annoyed me, I told you <laughs> this. I, I probably did it on my fifth time, but on my fourth time, I did this same method. Um, I picked up Macmillan and I got about two meters away from the helicopter. Then I got mission failed. Uh, the helicopter had to leave because it's, uh, because of because it was running out of fuel. Basically, <laughs> I was so annoyed. See you later. Yeah. Enjoy Pripyat. It's right in front of me. Just wait, literally ten seconds, nah. and I'll be in that helicopter. Nah, I've got to go. <laughs> yeah. It's going to take longer for you to pack up those soldiers that are standing outside than it is for me to get in. Nah, he's got to go. Got no fuel. He's out of there. <laughs> but no, I, oh, I, I, I agree with you. I th- that's my least favourite section of the game as well. It's, like we said, it's the highest part of the game followed by one of the lowest parts. And I, th- I just don't think, for the amount of time that that section goes on, I think it stops being fun and it becomes yeah. a slog. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I completely agree with you. One thing that I did want to mention um, with this game is it's a, a, an achievement slash trophy which you said you might try and go back to but you weren't sure um the achievement called mile high club and it's 
attained yeah, by I completing. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to go back to that. No, it's kind of like the epilogue mission um, where you infiltrate a jet that's been taken over by some hostages and you've got two minutes to extract the VIP. And I think it's something stupid like 0.20% or something that you said has attained that, that trophy. I think it's like 0.37 or something it's, like that percent of people. It's super, super hard. Um, I only know one person that's done it. And I, I, I tried it um, yesterday just to give it a go. And it's it's solid. Um, yeah. But I, I think at the time in uh, 07, 08, having that, achievement kind of put you in in god tier of video games saying yeah i've got the mile high club achievement yeah i can do that because yeah it's so difficult it's the difficulty is it's not the actual gameplay of it it's the timer yeah doing it all within that time you got to get really lucky because also there's an element of um of unpredictability about it sometimes enemies will be in different places yeah um i got to I got to the top floor. I got to there's a bit just before where there are some cabins. Mm. I got there and then I ran out of time. So I thought I could do this. I could really fine tune it until. But I thought I'm not willing to spend that amount of time doing it. And this is also clouded by another thing that I don't know if you know about. There's a glitch on um, certain versions of that mission which people use to get the achievement slash trophy. It works on all versions except maybe the 1X version, I think. Mm. Um, and what people do is they start the mission in regular and then they save and quit. And then they quickly start it in veteran, then quit out to the menu, and then they do resume mission. So now you're playing the game with the veteran time limit, technically on veteran difficulty, but with regular, regular level rates. AI. Yeah, so um, so people are basically cheesing the trophy or the achievement well, by doing that. If you're listening to this podcast and you achieved uh, that trophy that way, then you didn't achieve it, and you only cheated yourself. And you only yeah, but that, that it just shows it's a different conversation, but it just shows what lengths people yeah, will go to to get trophies and achievements. Yeah, it's, it's um, crazy. Yeah, so. I, I feel like I could do it, but I'm not... You told me that your friend spent longer yeah. getting that achievement than playing the whole single-player campaign. Oh, yeah, I think I think and, it took him a very long time. And I just have no desire to put myself through that, so no. I'm not going to. Fair enough. Um, so the question that I would pose to you is, do you think this game deserves its place on the top 100 list? Yes, I do. Um I, I think it does because it's still a great game, number one. Number two, it's still very playable. Number three, I'd still recommend it. Number four, all of the things, good and bad, that it did for the FPS genre. That unified control scheme that we mentioned, the um, popularization of set pieces, which it also did. The fact that every game, to this day, many, many games copy call of duty to the point where only in this generation have we started to get kind of alternative experiences like doom and wolfenstein coming back with different takes on the first person genre mm. um but we saw medal of honor trying to copy it and yeah, massively it failing out, to it? the point where it is now dormant um 
I remember so I played many, that when uh, it came out when the when they tried to reboot it and it it was okay, but it wasn't anything special, was it? It was just it felt like a Call of Duty Modern Warfare knockoff. Yeah, and and this is this is the thing that this is why I think it should be on the list because this formula that they nailed wasn't easy to achieve, and I think we take that for granted because so many games try to copy it. They couldn't do it. So many Call of Duty games since then have tried to recapture that. They couldn't do it. Mm. So it shows that the de- the design, the balance, the pacing of this game was really on point. Um, I think it definitely definitely deserves to be there. I'd recommend it. H- how high up? Uh, I think it's probably it's sitting about right. Yeah, it's probably sitting about right on that list. I don't think I'd place it higher than that. Um I mean, there's probably an argument it could be lower. But yeah, it's probably about right for me. How about you? Yeah, I'd agree. I, I recommend it as well. It's it's a fun game. And if you are into playing multiplayer online um, games, then you've got infinite fun with this because it's, it's very tight. It's very easy to play. The campaign's good. You know, there's still a huge online community for this game that doesn't look like it's going anywhere soon. They're still you know supporting it with things like prop hunt and a few other extra things that there are um you know on the on the bleaker side of things there are microtransactions that you can get now and i think to get all of the maps that were in the original game you do have to buy them separately i think there's maybe three or four maps that aren't um in the in the base game that you have to pay extra for which sucks um yeah definitely but yeah i'd recommend it i think it's good i enjoyed it and you know i'll probably play it again a few years down the line yeah um i'm sure i will and it's, it's made me look forward to going back to modern warfare 2 again because i really enjoy that game i um, i'm really excited to go back to that just a small thing as well we mentioned at the start of the episode they added easter eggs into this um into this game and there's a little trophy which I'll just bring up because I think it's quite cool. Do you want to explain what you mean by Easter eggs for anyone that doesn't know? Yeah, so an Easter egg not, not is literal something, Easter eggs. Yeah, like an Easter egg is something that the developers pop in is kind of like a nod or a reference to something else. Um, yeah. And it, it's derived from the whole Easter Island statue thing, isn't it? And I think... A, it's like a hidden bonus, yeah. maybe. So in the one-shot, one-kill mission... Um, Zakaev, who's your target, is brought in in a jeep. And there's an achievement called Time Paradox, which you can get. And one of the main, well, the main villain of Modern Warfare 2 and 3, a guy called Makarov, um, he is actually there at Chernobyl with Zakaev. And if when you um, assassinate Zakaev, well, try to assassinate Zakaev, you can also shoot Makarov as well. And you get a little tick come up saying objective completed, change uh, change the future, um, and you get a an achievement called time paradox, which I think was just a cool little um, added thing because that isn't in the original game because when they originally bought out uh, Call of Duty Four, they didn't have well I'm imagining they didn't have an idea for you know a character like Makarov and where they were going to go with the story, so yeah I think that was a cool little. Um, bonus because they make reference yeah, to it in definitely. modern warfare 3 um i think it shows that um raven software who developed this game um it was kind of a, a labor of love for them even if the way that activision handled publishing it wasn't above board mm, yeah 
So, yeah, I suppose that's um, that's everything that we've got to say about Modern Warfare. No, I won't say Modern Warfare. I suppose that's everything. Call we've of got Duty to say. Four, Modern Warfare. Yes, Call of Duty Four, Modern Warfare. Um, have you got anything else that you want to add? No, not really. I think we I think we covered it quite extensively. Of course, we could have gone in more depth, but um, I think we did a, a good job of explaining our positions on it. Indeed. Um, so do you want to uh, speak about what we're going to be covering next time? Yes. So on the next episode, we are going to be covering the earliest Zelda game on the list. Not the first Zelda game. This is Zelda 3, uh, A Link to the Past. Now we're both going to be playing it on the Switch, which you have newly acquired. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to uh, diving into the Zelda series for this list. And this will be the first um nintendo property that we we cover and we have covered goldeneye in the past which is obviously heavily tied with nintendo but um that was a rare game published by nintendo so it's a bit different but yeah i'm really really looking forward to this one yeah i've finally joined the future and picked up a nintendo switch so we can start covering those games finally um good stuff indeed so um as usual we're on all the socials facebook twitter instagram feel free to email us at the long and short of it podcast at hotmail.com um if you've enjoyed this episode please do give it a share or something that would really help is if you could give us a um a rating on itunes on apple Podcasts. that would be really cool if that's where you listen but yeah that's everything i've got to say anything from you Nope, that's about it from me. Super duper. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time for Zelda A Link to the Past. See you on the next one. Cheerio.